Deputy Prime Fascist Christina Freeland was approached by an angry Alberta man who hurled profanities and insults at her during a trip to her home province. As politicians, pundits, and soy latte beta males, or Prime Minister, sorry, that's something, something in my throat there, across the country jumped to her defense. Also, Matt and I have retired our tinfoil hats, and we have upgraded them to jewel-encrusted tinfoil crowns as we look at the multi-pronged satanic agenda of the World Economic Forum, with Canada being its vanguard of globalist destruction, its harbinger of globalist tyranny. We're talking electric vehicles, bug butter, climate communism, digital IDs, and pandemics galore. It's September 1st. I'm Andrew DiBartolo. That's Matt Halleck. And this is the Liberty Dispatch. Welcome to Liberty Dispatch, broadcasting across enemy lines into the Canadian culture war. Wherever you're watching us from or listening to us from, be sure to like, subscribe, comment, rate, review, whatever you have to do to get our content out to more people. Please do it. That's the small part that you can play in this burgeoning liberty movement in Canada. Also, if you want to get us on demand, you can check us out at flfnetwork.com they also have an app that's where you can get our stuff on demand right on your cell phone right on an app it's the fight laugh feast network app which you can download on google play or your apple app store to get all our content right at your fingertips also be sure to go over to website keep up with everything liberty coalition canada over there at liberty coalition canada Dot com. Be sure to subscribe to our email list. And also, if you would, we would really appreciate you leaving a donation because it helps us continue to grow and develop our podcasts as well as our legal advocacy and our initiatives. Also, finally, please feel free to reach out to us at info at liberty coalition Canada dot com with any comments, questions or concerns. This segment is brought to you by Rocklink Investment Partners. The team at Rocklink is not and does not support a woke, Marxist, WEF-friendly, cancel culture worldview. And they've created something called the Kokomo Fund. In light of bank accounts being seized and frozen under the Emergencies Act, or under its true name, the War Measures Act 2.0, Rocklink can help you move your investment overseas based in the Cayman Islands, the world's number one offshore market for investment funds. Give the freedom lovers at Rocklink a call at 905-631-5462 or send them an email, info at rocklink.com. That's info at rocklink.com. Well, Andrew, one of the stories that came out during the weekend was an altercation that happened in Alberta where our Deputy Prime Minister, Christia Freeland, was visiting for some appearances there in, as you mentioned, her home provinces. So on the weekend, Deputy Prime Minister was confronted by an angry male protester and his wife or partner or whatever, and um, it goes something like this. That's Christia. Yeah. Christia. Yes. What the f you doing in Alberta? You f Get the f this 
province. You don't belong here. This kind of cowardly behavior threatens and undermines our democracy. Not only did our prime minister comment on the confrontation, but the confrontation sparked a great outrage all over the internet as politicians like our prime minister chimed in with a cacophony of crocodile tears in response to the incident. As Trudeau says in the video that you just watched, this supposed verbal tirade, to use his own language, under minds democracy while this language happens to be very rich coming from someone who has broken democratic norms literally hurling profanities at the opposition from the floor in parliament he is not wrong however to point out the inappropriate nature nature of the confrontation obviously we would very much disagree with the way that this encounter happened with the language that was being used with the the idea that a man uh, of quite significant size would go up and kind of physically intimidate a woman kind of get into her her face and everything like that so we can absolutely condemn the actions and say this is not an appropriate way of going about it while also Pointing out the fact of the matter is Christia Freeland is largely to blame for the increased temperature and raging anger as it pertains to politics in our nation. There's no doubt about it. The reality is, and this is just a fact of life, if you sow the wind, you will reap the whirlwind. While many politicians in Canada took this incident as an opportunity to play the victim, I can't help but Andrew say spare me the tears what is truly a threat to our nation andrew is our government and its unelected bureaucrats forcing canadians into a fourth industrial enviro communo fascistic revolution what truly undermines doc uh, democratic norms is ceding our national sovereignty to technocratic elites in supranational organizations like the UN, the WEF, the IMF, etc. All this while wielding the monopoly power on violence that belongs to our civil magistrate in society. If I can jump in right so, there for a second, you're that's like that's bang on. You know, I remember during the convoy what was being what was being said of the people there was that it's a siege, it's an occupation, it's it, the the threat of democracy. They're there illegally, and the reality is it was an extended Canada Day festival that was peaceful <laughs> and jovial that had families and children there, with people who working with local law enforcement wanted nothing more than to have a civil, reasonable discussion with the prime minister and with the elected officials in order to come to some sort of agreement and resolution regarding the jab mandates for truck drivers and Canadians more broadly. And so here you have this group of people that was there, yes, protesting, but peaceful protest and working with law enforcement. And they were called racists and white supremacists and, and violent. And so the response from our federal government was actually violent force and was actually undemocratic so their democratic right to protest peacefully was called all sorts of evil things and the response 
was actually a tyrannical response where police officers from all over the country were bussed in and brought in in Dodge caravans in order to, by force, push these people. So it, it's, it's, com- it's complete by unself-awareness. Yeah. By extreme force. Yeah. They had to invoke what you call the War Measures Act, the Emergency Act of Canada, right? They had to invoke, invoke essentially martial law and implement it before cabinet ever debated it and they did this all with we're coming to understand with no support from police in the city or provincially so this is a serious serious situation they froze people's bank accounts and what did christia do with all this violence with with the 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 raw power of governments seizing people's money from their bank accounts what did she do about it? She laughed. She laughed. So you're confirming that accounts have been frozen, both personal and corporate. And the fact is, the Trudeau regime, of which Miss Freeland is a leader, is dragging Canadians, kicking and screaming by the hair into this fourth industrial revolution. Despite the fact, this is all despite the fact that they have a historically unpopular minority government in Canada with the thinnest, like razor thin, right? You can't skate on that ice thin of mandates. Yet instead of, you know, recognizing that fact, instead of, approaching governance in a in a more centrist more um, neutral more measured way they have literally taken cans of gasoline and pour it poured it on the fire that is divisiveness in canadian canadian politics and you have to look no further than what happened with the trucker convoy and how uh they they went about dealing with that they weren't they weren't they talked so such a big game about democracy they didn't want to hear from the people directly no they wanted to hide away then when they wouldn't go away they wanted to shut them up by using militant force and that's why we need to talk about something because I think most Canadians who aren't totally and utterly brainwashed can say, spare me the crocodile tears. Like, I don't like the way that that man approached Christia Freeland, but you have to be living in a perverse reality to think that she isn't somewhat responsible for the added temperature in Canadian politics. And that's what we want to talk about today. We want to, it's going to be a different show. Instead of doing a bunch of news and analysis like we normally do, we want to show the receipts of just how our government in bed with supranational organizations has coercively and violently thrust Canadians into this total and utter social revolution. Should our government officials be surprised when Canadians are angry that they've sold their nation out to the whims of men like Klaus Schwab? But um, what we are very proud of now is a young generation like uh, Prime Minister Trudeau, um, President of, of uh, Argentina and so on, that we penetrate the cabinets. So yesterday I was at a, rece- at a reception for Prime Minister Trudeau and I 
knows that half of this cabinet, or even more half of uh, half of this cabinet, are for our actually young global leaders of the world economic forum. What do you make of that video, Andrew? I know you've seen it before, but when I say that we've been sold out as Canadian people, I'm not making things up. That's not a conspiracy theory. You heard it from the horse's mouth right there, from the actually crazy German Bond villain's mouth. But what do you make of all this, Andrew? Well, I mean, Canada has clearly positioned itself as being a leader in this societal revolution. And you see Canada at the tip of the spear of, man, we're, we're going to talk about these various mandates and goals and plans and agendas that Canada has set out, that Canada wants to lead the way, that Canada wants to be, and in a number of ways has been the first to bring these things into being. But what we need to understand is this isn't just about Canada having some really good ideas. This is about these very powerful global organizations that, as I said on the last show, are like head office that distribute the advertising, the marketing material, and the product that's to be displayed in all of their stores. And you always have flagship stores, right? You have your stores that are located in big cities that generate the most amount of sales that you know you want to try. But we have test cities, right? For example, Kingston was a test city for Target, which failed miserably. But you have cities where things pop prop up. And so that's what we want to talk about today. We want to talk about these powerful global figures, the UN, the WHO, the WEF, that have a plan, that have an agenda, that have a program that they want to distribute to everywhere in the world. They want to get it out into all of their stores. And that includes the advertising, the instructions, and the product itself. But you always have your flagship stores or you have your test stores. And Canada, as we'll see, just happens to be one of, if not the leading test store for the new agenda and the new program that we want to get from the WEF or that's coming down. And so WEF has wrote many white papers laying out their strategy in 2016, and we're going to see certain things go all the way back to 2009. There are two events that drastically set their agenda back, which, by the way, was why they through the arm of the legacy media, tried everything possible to both undermine and discredit. And that's Brexit and the election of Donald Trump. And the reality is anyone who's, pay atten- anyone who's paying attention knows that there was an overwhelming, unnecessary, unceasing chorus from the legacy media regarding these two, almost an irrational response because they needed to undermine and, and, and stop or discredit after the fact. Now, these global leaders would not be deterred, right? It's not as if it stops there. Uh-oh, Trump, it's over. No, clearly not. The agenda has to move forward. So lo and behold, COVID-19 provided just the opportunity to hashtag build back better. It's a very pertinent question to ask, how do we build back better? To build back better or whatever. We have a chance to reset the clock and build back better than before to build back better than before. Remember the the terrible damage of COVID as we try to build back from this uh, global pandemic. Joe Biden calls it build back better. Build back better. Building back better. To do things differently. To build back better. We're gonna build it back better. 
and build it back better. It's my plan to build back better. Uh, start taking all the problems that have been created in right. education and mental health and start to, to build back in a positive way. I have launched a booklet called Build Back Better, Britain After Coronavirus. It's about building this country back better. Growing conspiracy following it. It is called The Great Reset. An unprecedented opportunity to rethink and reset the ways in which we live. The great opportunity for reset. The theory even calls Mr. Biden's campaign slogan, Build Back Better, a front for the conspiracy. Build back better. Building back better our economy. Build back better. All elements of the Great Reset are fundamental to building the future we need. This pandemic has provided an opportunity for a reset. It's a big effort to, some would say, to build back, back better. We would say to really have a great reset. Conspiracy. 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 And as Klaus Schwab and Thierry Mallory lay out in their 2020 book, COVID-19, The Great Reset, the pandemic provided them with the perfect opportunity to reimagine re and reshape the future of the world in a more just, equitable, and sustainable direction. Now, I want to stop here because some of our audience might say, well, are you saying that they put the whole thing together, that they intentionally were doing the virus work and the gain of function, the whole thing was planned? Let me give the most generous take on it, that you actually had American organizations funding gain-of-function research in China in order to legitimately discover ways to properly deal with these viruses. So the only way to work with them and the only way to figure out how to respond and how to deal with them is you have to manipulate them so that the humans can catch them. You need to go from animals to humans. So most generous, most generous take I'll, I'll give is they were legitimately wanting to see in case these viruses do become transferable or transmissible to humans, we want to get ahead of it. Let's just give that much credit. But the reality is clearly once this thing broke out, opportunity. We saw an opportunity to take advantage of it to further the agenda and to keep pushing it down to the end zone. Are we really supposed to believe that it's just a coincidence that you have stuff like this coordinated messaging that comes out across the world? So, for example, and this is a few years older than COVID-19, but are we really supposed to believe that all these news organizations, all these local news channels just stumbled upon the exact wording? You know, something like this. Hi, I'm Fox San Antonio's Jessica Headley. And I'm Ryan Wolf. Our, our greatest, greatest responsibility, responsibility is to, to serve our, our Treasure Valley communities. The El Paso Las Cruces communities. Eastern Iowa communities. Mid-Michigan communities. We are extremely proud of the quality, balanced journalism that CBS4 News produces. But we are concerned about trouble and trying to be responsible. One side of news stories plaguing our country. Plaguing our country. The sharing of biased and false news has become all too common on social media. More alarming, some media outlets publish these same fake stories without checking facts first. The sharing of biased and false, false news has, has become, become all too common, common on, on social, social media. media. More alarming, some media Unfortunately, some members of the media use their platforms to push their own personal 
This is extremely dangerous to our democracy. 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 Like, are we really supposed to just think this is all coincidence? That everybody just was like, oh, I've got a great slogan, and it just so happened to be the exact slogan of the Great Reset put forward by the WEF? I don't know. Seems fishy. Yeah. Like, So, I mean, you're right that, it, sure, it could be some great coinkadink. Or it could be, again, and this is this is what we're going to argue, that is an example of head office distributing the marketing and advertising to all of its stores, saying, when you release this product, here's the display, here's the signage, here's what you need to say. And again, I've worked in a sporting goods store before. They, they give specific instruction to the employees to say, this is how you sell it. Highlight this technology, highlight this functionality. Make sure you let the customer know this, this, and this. Get the script down. That's what this is. This is get the script down to all of the different stores, which are really countries and nations across the world. So in order to usher in the fourth industrial revolution, governments around the world must work in a coordinated manner. We, manner we've said this before. In chorus. It's like they're all singing the same song with different parts, there's melodies and harmonies, but it's the same song that's coming out. But they all and and we're not making that up. Right. This is if you read the COVID nineteen, the Great Reset. If you read Klaus Schwab's stuff, he's always pushing for a coordinated effort from governments across the world, and also from businesses. And sadly, the third leg of that three legged stool is faith-based communities. That's always what they're pushing. So in the 2021 follow-up to The Great Reset, which is called The Great Narrative, this agenda more and more is laid out for us. We, we, we it's And what's amazing is it's become even more brazen, like things that were much more hidden, things that were, were, were in the background. Now, the further we've pushed this line, the further we've seen this agenda work its way out, is they're far more confident about it being out in the open. They don't have to hide it anymore. And still, people would say, oh, that's a conspiracy theory. Like, you just go to the WE Forum website. It's all right yeah. there. So, Matt, here's a question I have. How is it that, that, that governments more broadly, and we're going to hone in on Canada, intend to embark on this global societal revolution? What's the play, right? So it, it, using the analogy... Mm -hmm head office has distributed the information booklet that's to be given to managers mm -hmm. and associates and they're supposed to read mm -hmm. through it and understand okay here's what you say here's the steps what is that information booklet what's the strategy in order to make sure that this product works its way into every store and so that it ultimately works its way into every home yeah well 
it's always helpful to keep an eye on what the end goal is. And that is really summed up in one word, and that's sustainability. And that's the, the, the buzzword that attaches itself to this enviro-communo-fascistic revolution. That's utopia, the sustainable, um, self-referential, um, circular economy that functions you know, sort of like a machine in the world that can be it, toyed with and tinkered by algorithmic um, technology and by the leaders and the experts of our society. And hacking so, is, as Yuval Harari calls it, hacking. <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah, exactly. Now, in the past, many tyrants and governments wanted to do it, but nobody understood biology well enough and nobody had enough computing power and data to hack millions of people. Neither the Gestapo nor the KGB could do it. But soon, at least some corporations and governments will be able to systematically hack all the people. He, he, he can, we can hack human beings, right? That's the next stage in this, this rev, the, in human evolution, right? As, as he would put it, is, is being able to change not only human society through social engineering, all for the purpose of sustainability, but ultimately change human behavior and because they believe human beings are infinitely malleable and they're changed by the environment that you put them in, ultimately human nature. Data might enable human elites to do something even more radical than just build digital dictatorships. By hacking organisms, elites may gain the power to re-engineer the future of life itself. Because once you can hack something, you can usually also engineer it. And if indeed we succeed in hacking and engineering life, this will be not just the greatest revolution in the history of humanity, this will be the greatest revolution in biology since the very beginning of life four billion years ago. For four billion years, nothing fundamental changed in the basic rules of the game of life. All of life for four billion years, dinosaurs, amoebas, tomatoes, humans, all of life was subject to the laws of natural selection and to the laws of organic biochemistry. But this is now about to change. Science is replacing evolution by natural selection with evolution by intelligent design. Not the intelligent design of some god above the clouds, but our intelligent design. So, I mean, that will get in. We're hoping to have a bigger, broader conversation on transhumanism with our friend, uh, Dr. Scott Masson, but that'll have to be for another day. But that's kind of what I want to now approach uh, the, the rest of the episode in. I want to take these two kind of categories of social engineering on the one hand and, and sustainability. Um, can keep it real simple. Two S's, social engineering, sustainability. And they really work hand in glove. And what we really see is when it comes to social engineering, 
the COVID-19 pandemic, <coughs> sorry, pandemic was used as an entry point for drastic global change. This is straight from the WEF's website on the Great Reset. So this is not me. The, the following will be right from the WEF, okay? So this is from the Great Reset on the weforum.com, okay? Check it out. It says, the context, the COVID-19 crisis and the political, economic, and social disruptions it has caused is fundamentally changing the traditional context for decision-making. The inconsistencies, inadequacies, and contradictions of multiple systems from health and financial to energy and education are more exposed than ever amidst a global concept of concern for lives, livelihood, and the planet. Leaders find themselves at a historic crossroads, managing short-term pressures against medium and long-term uncertainties. So that's the context. Now this is the opportunity. The opportunity. As we enter a unique window of opportunity to shape the recovery, this initiative will offer insights to help inform all those determining the future state of global relations, the direction of national economies, the priorities of society, the nature of business models, and the management of global commons. Drawing from the vision and vast expertise of leaders engaged across the forum's community, the Great Reset Initiative has a set of dimensions to build a new social contract that honors the dignity of every human being. I feel this impulse in me right now to just say, I just got to get this out of the way. Um, in case something happens, Matt and I are generally quite happy and joyful about our lives right now. We don't have any no no suicidal yeah no suicidal ideations. Just in case something happens, we're good. I'm I'm pleased with 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 the way the Lord has been gracious to my family, and I thoroughly enjoy the many blessings He's given me. And I intend to live for as long as He has me on this earth. So I, I just felt the strong impulse to say. We we don't plan on doing anything to ourselves in case something in case something happens. So I just want to 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 make sure that we all we all hear that first. Um, so we it's it's a necessary yes. caveat, Andrew. But I I just want to point out just even some of this language, right? So that at the end of the opportunity, what do they want to do? We want to build a new social contract. But who's building that? It's not you. Mm -hmm. It's not it's not a democratic social contract. It's a globalist, technocratic social contract that is managed by experts and foisted on the entire population of the world through governments. Okay? It's not a it's not a Rousseauian or it's not even a Lockean social contract contract that starts from people organizing in the state of nature. It's not what what uh, the biblical dual covenantal view of government would say, no, this is a technocratic globalist elite 
determines social contract, and you plebs better play along unless you want the world to be destroyed. So when we're talking about social engineering, we, we can't we can't properly understand social engineering, especially as we've seen in the last two and a half years outside of the COVID pandemic. And the reason is the way that we've seen the social engineering needle pushed further has everything to do with the COVID era and it's further the influence and interference. <laughs> a, good, a good picture, a yeah. good picture. It's further, <laughs> yeah, it's further the influence and the interference of players like the WEF again, into the world more broadly in Canada more specifically. So I want to offer a very simple definition of social engineering so that, again, people don't think we're pie in the sky. Social engineering is a fancy way of saying changing the way people think and act. As simple as you can put it. Now, it's usually done by gaining their trust, obedience, personal information, and you 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 accomplish this through psychological manipulation, propaganda, legislation, social pressure, and sometimes flat-out flat out dishonesty. And if there's one thing that is most definitely forever altered the way people think and act, it would have to be the COVID era. I mean, before we get into the changes to social behavior because of COVID, right, the new normal, as it's been called, we want to watch this this clip. And these are scenes from something called Event 201. And this is going to the reason why we're showing this is, again, the emphasis on certain events, certain agendas, media, propaganda, policy, practices, in order to ultimately modify behavior, modify thought among people to gin up fear and anxiety and to compel them to do what you want them to do in order to have a desired result. So Event 201, we're going to link to it. If you're not familiar with it, I'm not totally surprised, but it was something sponsored in part by the WEF. So again, we're not making this stuff up. The Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation sponsored it, as well as the WEF, which is clearly behind it. Now, Event 201 took place in October 2019, roughly about five months before the COVID madness began. And what you're going to see in this video clip is a simulation of a novel coronavirus being released in the world. So it's a simulation of what happens if a novel coronavirus is released into the world. Remember, five months before, five months before COVID madness. What you're also going to see sitting around the table are world leaders as they discuss what they would do in such a situation. You're also going to see mock news footage or fictional news footage, again, Months before the real fake news began covering all of this, and I want to set this up for you so your mind's in the right place. When I first saw this, you know, about a year or so ago, maybe two years ago, I thought that what I was seeing was actual news coverage from a smaller news channel or somewhere else around the world. You know, I thought, yeah, this is, you know, this is, we're in 2020, 2021. But the news coverage you're going to see and the specific images and the things they talk about are from October 2019. Again, five months before any of this happened. Let's watch this, uh, this clip here. On behalf of our center and our partners, the World Economic Forum and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, I'd like to extend a very warm welcome to our audience here in New York, as well as our larger virtual audience participating online today. The Event 201 scenario is fictional. 
Today's scenario is going to simulate meetings of a multi-stakeholder group called the Pandemic Emergency Board. We're at the start of what's looking like it will be a severe pandemic. And there are problems emerging that can only be solved by global business and governments working together. There has been uh, some conspiracy theories that are around about uh, the potential that pharmaceutical companies or the UN have released this for their own benefit. And maybe this is a time for us to showcase some cases where we are able to, to bring forward some bad actors and leave it before the courts to decide whether they have actually spread some fake news. A new coronavirus. Infected people got a respiratory illness with symptoms ranging from mild flu-like signs to severe pneumonia. In related news, a significant demand for personal protective equipment like N95 masks and gloves are on the rise. Patients are overwhelming healthcare facilities. People are avoiding public spaces out of fear of infection and in compliance with public health recommendations. Our U.S. affiliate has just released polling results on public expectations for a vaccine. And 65% of those polled are eager to take the vaccine, even if it's experimental. I'm not optimistic about having the vaccine in time to be relevant during this pandemic. With enough money and political will, anything is possible. Penalties have been put in place for spreading harmful falsehoods, including arrests. If the solution means controlling and reducing access to information, I think it's the right choice. What exactly are the risks and benefits of staying home from work? Absolutely, we need to save lives, but we literally cannot afford a heavy-handed response that suffocates our economy. The world saw large-scale protests and in some places riots. This led to violent crackdowns in some countries and even martial law. The public lost trust in their respective administration. Economists say the economic turmoil caused by such a pandemic will last for years. The societal impacts the loss of faith in government, the distrust of news, and the breakdown of social cohesion could last even longer. We have to ask, did this need to be so bad? So, Andrew, here we see a prediction that people's behaviors will change, their, their views of government and healthcare will change, and even their thinking will change and what we're seeing is what can be summed up as reflexivity it's this positive feedback loop that the social engineers put out a prediction in the world and then act in such ways to make that come about come come to pass so it's the 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 feed the positive feedback loop between thought and action in society and that's really exactly how these these people who are leading us through this fourth industrial revolution are going to thrust us into this coming utopia right this this sustainable future it, that's what they want to talk about and that's where they want to us to go and while these seem like a lot of benign predictions we should take them as admissions rather than predictions Less than half a year after this video, on February 21st, 2020, Italy instituted the first lockdown in the modern Western world. Some 50,000 residents in Lombardy, Italy, within weeks, all of Italy was in lockdown. By March 9th, 2020, more than half of the world's population was in lockdown. Dr. Deborah Burks, the White House response coordinator, said this. 
we had to make these palatable to the administration, talking about the Trump administration, by avoiding the obvious appearance of a full Italian lockdown. They would have never gone for that. At the same time, we needed the measures to be effective at slowing the spread, which meant matching as closely as possible to what Italy had done. Imperial College professor Neil Ferguson, architect of the garbage COVID-19 models from the same dumpster as the climate modeling, said this. It's a communist one-party state, we said. We couldn't get away with it in Europe, we thought. And then Italy did it. And we realized we could. So what he's talking about is the fact that the Italian model of lockdown was actually predicated on the Chinese uh, model of lockdown. And it's interesting to note, and we'll link this, today is all about receipts. It's all about documenting this so you can check into it, you can look into it, you can share this with friends. This should be the most shared episode we ever do. There's going to be links in the description to each and every one of these articles we're citing. And there is a great article that this is from, from the Brownstone Institute. So you can check it out on how Italy and their lockdowns led to the world lockdowns and how the man behind that is a crazy, wild-eyed leftist socialist. So are we surprised that he was excited to thrust his nation into a communist one-party state? I don't think so. Anyways, the Italian health minister, Roberta Speranza, said this in a book that was, interestingly enough, hastily pulled off of bookshelves in Italy. I am convinced that we have a unique opportunity to entrench a new idea of the left. I believe that after so many years going against the wind, there is a possibility of reconstructing a cultural hegemony on a new basis. He also said this, China is a great protagonist of the time we lived in. The only precedent we can look it, look to is China with a very different culture, political and institutional model for ours. In Italy, everyone has been saying for weeks it would be impossible to do what China has done. But what, what happens if it were necessary? Now, what do our friends at the WEF say about lockdowns? Well, I'm glad that you ask. This is right off of the WEF website from March 21st, 2020. As painful as a lockdown may be for many of us, it works. While the word indefinitely isn't one we want to hear, it's possible long-term suppression could be the best way to reduce infections and deaths, at least until... A vaccine is available. Now, interestingly enough, what is the study that they point to to justify that lockdowns will work? The thoroughly debunked and discredited College of London study that was done by Imperial College of London, pardon me, study that was done by Professor Neil Ferguson, are you seeing this feedback loop, 
because I am. Now, all of this leads to Canada, like this is our country, the country in the world with the longest end-to-end stretch of lockdowns out of any other nation. Canada, with some of the most restrictive mandates of any Western nation. Now, the reason I say Western is because we don't include China, because China is outright communist and tyrannical, where they just don't arrest people, they arrest them and they disappear them, and they lock them in re-education camps. So, obviously, a place like China is the worst. But in the Western world... Canada has been the worst with vaccine mandates still in place for people traveling into the country. If you're a non-citizen, you have to have the jab. And if you are a citizen and you don't have the jab, you still have to fill out a RiveCan or do your 14-day quarantining. Canada, one of the first countries, if not the first, to put a travel ID app into place by way of a RiveCan. And soon to be one of the first Western nations to implement a federal digital ID program. Now this, so this doesn't come out of nowhere. Everyone will think, oh, this is Canada. We're ahead of the curve. We're novel. No, we're not. We are just the flagship store. We are the store with the, that it's most important that we get the product to this store first, that we advertise here first, that we make sure that we drive sales in this store that's Canada in twenty because they got our best salespeople, right? You know they have a team that's fully committed to our agenda, right? Klaus said it. I didn't right. say it. He said it. And Canada is Canada is perceived a certain way in the world. We are, a, a, you know, we're a nation that is rich in natural resources. We are a nation that is generally respected. We're a nation that you know leads the way per capita in immigration. We're, I mean, we're we're on par with the United States. So it's not as if we're just a nobody nation. We are a big player on the world scale, and so it's it's no surprise that we would be the flagship store. The other difference between us and the United States is the United States has that pesky thing called the Constitution that prevents the kind of overreach and tyrannical rule that we've seen here in Canada. Though they've tried down there. Up here in Canada, you basically have the Charter of Rights, which is a, which is a piece of Swiss cheese with holes in it. So we need to understand that this is Canada. Like I said, Canada is the vanguard. Canada is the tip of the spear for this agenda. And this digital ID thing doesn't come out of nowhere either. In 2015, the WEF launched something called the Known Traveler Digital Identity, the KTDI. This is right from the WEF itself. KTDI enables consortium partners to access verifiable claims of a traveler's identity so they can assess their credibility, optimize passenger processing, and reduce risk. Three years later, so now we're in 2018, the government of Canada, and again, this is all right on the KTDI and WEF websites, the government of Canada announced that it agreed to become one of the pilot partners for KTDI, along with Air Canada, Pearson Airport in Toronto, and Trudeau International Airport in Montreal. That was 2018. Does that description sound like anything that's happened in Canada recently? Something that Canada was the first in the world to implement? Well, you guessed it, arrive can which was said to be a response to COVID-19 in order to do two things. One, keep people safe. 
And two, keep things quick to not get clogged up. And by the way, it's done neither of those, just so we're clear. It's uh, slowed it down, and it hasn't kept anyone and yet safe. They, and yet, Andrew, as we've talked about on the pre- previous program, they don't want to get rid nope. of it. They want to expand right. it. Right. Now, so in reality, though, is that Canada was a locked-in part of the KTDI pilot plan. We agreed, and that's why these things they don't serve any actual good. So this is from the Government of Canada's website. Again, we're th- we're not making stuff up. We're just we're just giving you the receipts. We're showing you the playbook here, as a part of Transport Canada 2022-2023 departmental plan. Quote: The Nome Traveler Digital Identity Initiative aims to allow passengers to share their information with entities across the air travel continuum to facilitate the traveler experience while maintaining high security standards. Yeah, I don't feel good about that at all. Uh, It leverages emerging technologies such as, now listen to this, emerging technologies. It uses blockchain, cryptography, and biometrics. Biometrics, by the way, is a simple way of saying fingerprint, your eyes, like your height, your weight, we're going to basically map your body and ID you that way. That's what biometrics are. Through the pilot project, Transport Canada is assessing the impact of blockchain technologies on the aviation sector and testing the impact of biometrics technologies on aviation stakeholders' compliance with regulations related to passenger identity verification. As well, The validity of how digital identities and biometric technologies can contribute to enhancing operational efficiencies in Canadian airports is being examined, and testing how digital identities and biometric technologies can contribute to touchless processes in the airport environment is being conducted. That sounds like the beginning, that sounds like the lead-in to a dystopian movie, right? The lead-in is they're saying this is, and then in the background you see people on fire and robots and AI killing people. Now I want to let's put this all together in a nice, delicious, uh, demonic agenda chocolate cake. And what I want us to see is, and th- this is how I like to do puzzles. I like to do the border of the puzzle first. I like to do the edge first so that you have the square so that you know where you're working. You know the outline, you know the contours, you know the limits, and then you start filling in the inside. So what I want to do now is I want to make the edge of the puzzle, and then the rest of this episode is going to be filling in the puzzle so that we see the image clearly. Canada has a pandemic response just like the rest of the world, and in many ways worse than pretty much everywhere else in the world. Canada then implements a travel ID program that gathers important personal information and actually tracks your location to know if you're quarantining. This was the hubbub with the RCMP, that they were tracking the location of Canadians to know if you were in your isolation place the way that you were supposed to be. Canada then pivots quickly the travel app into what's going to become the federal digital ID. That's the pivot we're going to see. Well, we don't need a Rive can if we have this federal digital ID. And all of this, every single part of it, is planned and spelled out by the WEF years before it happens. Three years, five years, ten years before it happens. With Canada explicitly as an initial pilot partner. It's called out and these Canadian organizations. Now, do you see why Rive can has to stay? 
You see why they don't want to get rid of it? You see why Canada has been the most stubborn at not letting go of jab mandates and restrictions and travel mandates? Now do you see why it matters that half of all of Trudeau's cabinet are WEF operatives? And all of this is not an end to itself. It's not just about let's get the pieces in place. No, through social engineering, by setting up the structures and the policies, by changing the way people think and by changing the way people act, you can now move towards something else, right? The goal is set it up, get the outside of the puzzle, set it, get the, all the pieces in place to move to something else. And that something else aims to touch at every aspect of our lives in order to accomplish one thing, one evil, demonic, globalist goal. And Matt, you're going to tell us what that goal is or you're going to spell it out for us in more detail, because I know we've seen mm -hmm. this goal for a while now. And Andrew, lastly, there's just so much that we have to cover. We know we're going long, but it's really important. In case people just thought these policies might only impact their commute to work, I want to highlight the total and totalitarian nature of these policies by pointing out the fact that they reach down to what you will put in your body. And no, I'm not talking about the experimental gene therapies. I am literally talking about what you will eat. How else can you explain the coordinated global effort to wean people off meat happening at the very same time that we are being sold on the virtues of consuming bugs andrew did you know eating meat is apparently a sign of racism and white supremacy i've i've been told that yeah that, that <laughs> when 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 such criticisms have been leveled against me i've i've been told yeah. it's also because of that delicious steak a that steak that you're eating it's now you're a cis yep. hetero white male christian meat eater yep. that that's another one to all add those on but we're not making this up I have a video that I want you all to watch, and it'll, it'll surprise you. The assumption that the best protein comes from corpses is a racist belief. How do you know the animal would have picked you to feed off their corpse? 21st century animal eating requires our complicity in a new colonialism. These events especially affect girls and young women. Your hamburger comes with a dose of misogyny. Popular culture is flooded with references to sexy cows, sexy pigs, sexy chickens, sexy fishes, who all just want to have fun. Meat eating is also one of the ways gender-based structures of oppression are perpetuated. Masculinity, a construct of the gender binary facing constant destabilization, feels always under threat, and eating animals is its protection racket. White supremacists weapon, weaponized it, eating meat, eggs, and dairy, and the baiting of liberal men as so-called soy boys are all part of the neo-Nazi <laughs> messaging. <laughs> to say you care about animals is considered a sign of weakness in a world still committed to the gender binary. Meat eaters like anti-abortionists have forgotten that one quality of non-existence is not having awareness about existence. When all else fails, meat eaters assert that animals are not our equals. 
I heard all your laughter. I know some of these must be new ideas or you think they're fringe or whatever. Our whiteness is part of the problem of meat eating. That's right. You, our dear listeners or viewers, are a viral, immoral, disgusting pig if you eat meat. But if you eat bugs, well, you can be virtuous like these celebrities. Oh, wow. Take the fangs out. Have you done this before? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think it's always been a part of the diet, the bugs. But then I think there is a truth to the survival during the war, of course. (laughs) You want to go? Want to share a spider? Hot? It's actually really good, the flavor. Okay. Mm, I can see why you're into this. I'm Nicole Kidman, and I am going to eat a four-course meal of bugs. I am here to reveal my hidden talent, eating micro-livestock. Cornworms. They're still alive. Mmm. Extraordinary. Mmm. Very moist. Chewy. Can't quite describe the flavor, but need a little water. <laughs> Let's try the second course, shall we? Just a little side note. Two billion people in the world eat bugs, and I'm one of them. Because here we go. Have some mealworms. I'm telling you, I'd win Survivor. That is a um, fruity taste. I'd recommend it. Here we have. Oh, oh. crickets. Oh, nothing. Oh, oh, awesome. Like nothing you've ever tasted. Like a hairy nut. (laughs) Don't. Oh my gosh. And not from the shell. And now for dessert. Mmm, the fried grasshopper. These are amazing. What have you got for us here? Talk us through what have you got and what can we try? I have an array of finger foods Mm -hmm. here. Let's start with these guys. These are uh, grasshopper kebabs, teriyaki marinated. These are ants on the log with ants. What have we got? What have we got here? What oh yeah, this? moving right along here. These are cockroach canapes. <laughs> yeah, I knew I'd get a reaction out of you that way. This is my yeah. specialty dish. What I want you to do. So go on. What do I do? I have to be the worst. Yeah, that would be okay. that would be so tragic compared to what we're about to do. <gasps> there we go. Let's put a little smoked paprika on here, just for color mostly. And you know, meat is basically muscle, so it's the legs that are the best part. If I rip right. off a leg for you. Yeah. Are you going to do a leg? Miss Ferris. Oh, well done, Anna Ferris. Tyler, you doing a leg? Yeah. Okay, let's all do a cheers. Ready? Let's all do a toast with a tarantula's That's leg. Right. All right, cheers. Cheers, go on. Cheers. cheers. Uh, down the hatch, here bon we go. Appetit. Unless you just think. That these videos are just wild, eccentric, you know, the, the person in academia debating in a school. Maybe that's just an eccentric person. Those Hollywood stars, 
They're weird. They're nuts. If you just think it's something that's being done in those uh, those spheres, think again. Because it's now being forced on children in schools. As we see here from Breitbart, you, the UK is implementing eating bugs as a part of their science curriculum. Which is exactly what this video from Australia says. I was contacted by a very disturbed mother who told me that her child came home and reported that she ate bugs that day. So I spoke to this mother. We, we, we spoke over the course of a few days. She contacted the principal and his response was that the children weren't forced to eat the bugs and that her child simply consented to eating these bugs <laughs> and that it's 100% above board and that this is part of the school curriculum. They've introduced the bugs as part of a science uh, regarding uh, the science curriculum, regarding sustainability and climate change, and as uh, from the principle, because eating bugs will become foods that will be eaten in the future. So this is part of the children's curriculum. Now, again, lest we think that this is just happening overseas, this is a video, a reaction video done by Harrison Faulkner of True North reacting to... Kids close to where I'm from in Pemina Valley, Manitoba, getting as a prize, Andrew, for being the classroom of the month. Fried crickets? So there's this, uh, Prairie there's this cricket right farm. here in Manitoba. They're called Prairie Cricket Farms. And what they do is they farm crickets and they put them in nice little bags and then you can eat the crickets. Then you can eat the crickets. We were conspiracy theorists, guys. We were conspiracy theorists for this. None of the kids want to eat the bugs. None of the kids want to eat the bugs. Look, you heard one of them say, I don't even want this. We just want to be good students. And it turns out, Andrew, in interestingly doing some research on this, that Manitoba is on the cutting edge, I don't know if you knew this, of of the new Bugs for Food initiative. Places like the Prairie Crickets Farm, which was featured in that video. That's the, the crickets that the children got as a prize. Um, and then also Winnipeg's Ecotone Foods are at the forefront of this Eating Bugs initiative. And wild enough, I went back to an article in Winnipeg Sun, which I'll, I'll link in, in the description below. And it's called, this is from 2014, September 21st, 2014, Eat Bugs, Save the Planet. And that's exactly why Ecotone began. That's the genesis story. They, working off of the UN climate research decided that they would farm bugs where did it all come from was it another coincidence nope again the un the wef they've been pushing this for a while i just typed in in a search in the wef eating bugs and i was hit with hundreds upon hundreds of search results including articles like good grub why we might be eating insects soon worms for dinner europe backs insect-based food in a bid to promote alternative protein this one five reasons why eating insects could 
reduce climate change. So that's the next play, apparently, is if you eat meat, you're a vile, misogynistic, racist, bigot, homophobe. But if you eat bugs, you're a virtuous person that wants to save the world. And I literally cannot make this stuff up. We've got the receipts. We're showing you them. Andrew comments. So the first thing that any anyone who has any familiarity with the Bible and Old Testament law will ask is, well, hold on a second. What about Leviticus 11? Because Leviticus 11 says there are some insects you can eat and some insects you can't eat, right? So Leviticus 11.20, don't eat insects that have wings and walk on all four feet. They're also to be hated or don't, don't eat those ones. So you may eat certain insects that have wings and walk on four feet. You may eat those that have legs with joints above their feet so they can jump. These are the insects you may eat. All kind of locusts, winged locusts, crickets, grasshoppers. Yeah, but all other insects that have wings and walk on four feet you are to hate. Those insects will make you unclean, and anyone who touches the dead body of one of those insects will become unclean until evening. So the, the point of reading that is some people might say, well, hold on a second here. It doesn't say that eating bugs is bad in and of itself. And okay, I'll grant you that. But that's not what we're talking about here. We're not talking about them saying, listen, here are some, here, here, here's an option, right? They're not saying, hey, we know the Bible says you can eat some and you can not eat others. What they're saying is... And if, if Andrew, Andrew, if the choice was starving or eating right. bugs, I, I think it's a no-brainer. Right. Eat the yes. bugs. Right. But what we're talking about here is an entire overhaul. An entire overhaul and a forcing down on people. And I, I mean, I've seen articles where they say, hey, we can make a, we can make a grasshopper milk and then we can make butter from it. And you don't even you could even tell the difference between cricket butter, beetle butter, and uh, and and the the butter you get from a cow. Or we can actually we can actually grind these bugs up and turn it into a hamburger patty. And you couldn't even tell the difference between this and a hamburger patty. And it's not just because magically they've discovered, oh look, bugs are bugs are good. We can deal with bugs. No, it's because of this agenda. And the agenda is. We need to be net zero emissions by 2050. And that also means we need to reduce, I mean, farmers are already being pressured soon under the gun to reduce the kind of nitrogen, the kind of nitrogen that they were, the fertilizer they use because of the nitrogen in it. And also cows, we've got to have less cows because of all that methane gas. I didn't just say that earlier as a joke. There's legitimate plans to reduce the number of cows. Right. So you got cows. So we need to, in order to further this climate agenda, what you need to do is you need to eat bugs and we're going to overhaul diets and we're going to sneak it in and we're going to do all of this again, not because of the benevolence of our elected officials who have recognized that they're actually more nutritious for us, but rather it's this multi-pronged way, right? We're just filling in the puzzle. We have the edges, we have the border, now we're just filling it in. And so one of the pieces is less cows less animals, more bugs. So we got to make it look appealing and we have to make it look like it's really delicious and for the good of humanity. And then they play the, the, the trope, right? Oh, you're a racist, bigot, sexist, homophobe, misogynist, <laughs> white supremacist if you don't eat bugs. And that, so that's the Which play. Is, 
Yeah, which is always the play. That is the same diatribe that they go on every time that you would step up and that you would push back against this insane uh, ideology that's being foisted on the world. And this is this is exactly why we're saying, yes, to get back to the front story, should that man have approached Christia Freeland in the way that he did? Absolutely not. But should you be surprised that the temperature is a little hot in Canadian politics when it's evident that this is the course of action that our extraordinarily, uniquely unpopular minority government in Canada is forcing us down this road? Violating basic human rights? Violating charter rights? Doing it with impunity? Weaponizing police forces against their own citizens for peaceful protests, though though disruptive, but protests are designed to be disruptive. That's the nature of protests. If you don't think protests should be disruptive, then you don't only have a problem with the truckers in Ottawa, you have a problem with the civil rights movement as well. So our okay? our, our, our audience might be asking this question, right? And, and, and the question they're asking is, so what do I do? Oh, okay, fine. Here is this this overwhelming behemoth. Here is this you know head office is 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 sent us the marketing information, the advertising information. They sent us the display for the product, and now the product itself. And our goal is to try to get this product into the homes of as many consumers as possible so that we can make money and 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 have a monopoly and you're so let's assume you're you know you're you're one of the consumers or let's say that you happen to be one of the employees at this this fictional store and they're telling you here's a new product and you know that the product is junk right so you know that the helmet is unsafe and the slightest tap it'll just disintegrate and concussions will abound or you know that this particular piece of protective gear is going to collapse under any kind of pressure. And so you're basically, you're, you're selling a death trap. You're selling something that's hazardous. And so you might ask the question, what do I do? And so there's many ways that we could deal with this. There's many ways we could approach this. So I want to offer a very simple two-step process. Number one, throw the instructions and the advertising material in the garbage right don't don't be a part of the game don't be a part don't be a part of the actual selling or forcing of this devilish destructive culture collapsing product that's only going to hurt people and you might ask well how do i do that andrew how is it that i'm a part of this again this is the step. so step 1 throw out the instructions step 2 okay do the opposite of everything they're telling you and you might seem like oh i seem it seems it's really that simple. And we've said this before on the show that if they're saying, and there's things we haven't even touched on. Oh my God. If they're saying stuff like you need to limit your kids, don't have more than one or two kids. Then so long as it is within your capability, have more. Cause if they're saying, no, we can't have kids. Don't start a family. You need to say, huh? Okay. So I'm going to do the opposite of that. And I'm going to have lots of kids. They're saying, for example, something like you don't need to work. 
will provide you with a universal basic income, another massive piece of this puzzle that we haven't even touched on, right? Let's just sap people of entrepreneurial spirit. Let's sap them of initiative and working hard, right? Because people who are work, people who work hard, who are independent, who take initiative are not people that are as easy to control and won't be voting in socialists. So what do you do about that? Go, go work hard, go start a business, go work hard. If they're going to say, don't eat meat. And I mean, I gotta, I gotta be careful around this because for some people, there are particular moral conscious convictions about meat. And I, that's a discussion we can have. But if you're okay with eating meat, if you're like, yeah, I'm fine with meat, they just go, go all, they say eat crickets. I'm gonna buy another steak. They say eat bug butter. I'm going to buy real butter and I'm going to smother my real steak with real butter. And I'm going to, uh, right. And because no, you get one of those, those tennis racket things with the, the word zaps them. Right. So everything they tell you to do, do the opposite. It's really that simple. Everything that the WEF that, and it's filtering down through nations and in Canada, whatever they're telling you, just do the exact opposite of that. And Number one, it'll probably be better for you. Number two, it'll probably be, and it'll probably lead to your flourishing. And number three, it's probably going to line your life up more with how God has created the world to work because clearly the people on that side hate God and hate his order for creation. And so they're telling you to do things that are against creational norms. Again, this the whole the whole sexual revolution is all against creational norms. And so for the sake of your flourishing and your good and your joy and for lining your life up more with what God has designed, just do the exact opposite of everything they're saying. That's a great way to start. Mm -hmm. Yeah. To sum it up, build and fight. Mm -hmm. Not carnally, but spiritually. Fight by creating good God-fearing homes centered upon the Word of God, churches that are doing what they ought to be doing, that are transforming the communities that they're in. Let us continue to build and fight in such a way that we can put up a, a, a guardrail on this insanity that we can stop it dead in its tracks and push back against this godless globalist ideology and let us take fact or let, let us take comfort in the fact that god is the sovereign he's the king of kings the lord of lords he's reigning and ruling supreme over all things and there's just this tricky little chapter of the bible genesis 11 and when man gets it in their heads that they're going to create such a globalist utopia as this god has a unique way of dispersing and destroying these silly plans in fact psalm 2 says god sits in the heavens and and laughs at these fools so we need to be ready to by building institutions strong families strong churches by building ourselves on the word of god and we need to do that now starting tomorrow so we can push back against this insanity burger if tomorrow you wanna... go buy a hamburger tomorrow yeah. go, go eat some steak tomorrow you can start go, there go some yes pork. you can get start some pork there. chops tomorrow do do that tomorrow yes. go drive your car mm -hmm. an extra five minutes tomorrow yeah. go do that okay <laughs> 
Yes, absolutely. If you can afford the gas, mind you. But um, yes, we want you to go do that. That's why we exist on uh, the Liberty Coalition Canada to do podcasts where we're covering stuff that the mainstream media would never dare to cover. We're giving you the receipts so you can be more informed and you can show other people. Please share the episode with more other people. If you want to get involved in politics and you're Christian, Christians that care dot net. That's how you can become a magistrate so you can interpose between these globalist elites and the constituents of your ridings, of your communities, of your municipalities. This is why we exist, because this is a starting point of a long fight. And I want to say this with a caveat. Again, when I'm talking about fighting, I'm not talking about fighting carnally. We're not there yet in Canada, but I... I want to bring back politicians that are fearful, fearful of God Almighty, that they have delegate delegated and limited power from him and they ought to use it for the betterment of their people. And I want them to fear the people, an informed citizenry that is going to hold them accountable for the what they do. I want to bring back politicians that are fearful of God Almighty and the citizens that elected them. And not fearful for their lives necessarily, but for their grasp on power. That's my final word. We've said a lot today. We have today. to make sure, too, that Until our audience knows. Sorry, we got to make sure that they tune in open mic this Saturday. Because Mike is interviewing C.R. Wiley. And they're going to be... So, so the Absolutely. question, what do I do? That's how to right. build some good, good households. households. Biblical masculinity, taking dominion. C.R. Wiley is going to help to offer a lot of the, what do I do now? You yeah. have to make sure that you mm -hmm. watch Open Mic this Saturday. It's going to be a good one. Absolutely. Until next time, Galatians 5.1. Thanks for tuning in to Liberty Dispatch, a united front to restore liberty and justice in Canada. Please subscribe to our podcast and Rumble channel as well as visit our website at www.LibertyCoalitionCanada.com.